0: Must be like the wolf pack, not like six
1: pack teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No Eye in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, uh, running teams, getting the most out of teams. I am your host, Mark Johnson. I'm a performance teacher and a performance maker. As always, I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Sean Gallagher, a sports coach, and we're going to get into uh, what's uh, the same, what's different, what we can find to fight about how we run teams. Hello, Sean. Hi, Mark. No fighting. Love, Love only. Love only from me. Good vibes only on today's podcast, and it is a good one. We are here with part two of our conversation with Charlie Purnell, uh, where we move a little bit further away from D of E and into the dark and misty realms of D and D, Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Indeed. Yes, we are, Mark. Um, yeah, very much out of my comfort zone in terms of D and D, but that's the whole point of this podcast. Uh, Looking across all sorts of genres and industries to talk teams.
1: Sean, at the end of last episode, we talked a little bit about that role that Charlie was describing of the person, uh, up the front, who's putting the team together. Uh, and we dipped into this idea that the director of a movie, or uh, Steve Jobs was your example, was this kind of visionary that is sort of the engine for everyone else to come together and work around. And, and I asked whether or not that's a good thing to have that person up top who has all of the power.
0: Yeah, I think you used a good word there when you kind of said at the end of the last episode in terms of collecting kind of talent almost hmm. and i'm i'm actually a big advocate for that because i think it takes people a long time to realize what they're good at and what they're not good at and i think a lot of people try to be good at things that they're not very good at now that kind of goes against your sort of growth mindset kind of philosophy and as a sports coach i am a growth mindset kind of person i do think that we can improve over time on things However, you know, some people do break the mold and they do kind of surpass people's expectations, um, like your big movie directors and, and your big kind of film stars and your kind of Steve Jobs, you know, these people are outliers. There's not tens of thousands of these people in, in the world. So my point is, is that I think, you know, at the tender age I am at, um, (laughs) 2021, Exactly, I do feel as though I've got a fairly good understanding of what I am good at, which is important um but also what maybe I'm not as good at as some others, and it would take me longer to be as good as them at the thing they're really good at right and i I've,
1: I've always considered myself similarly to have that i know a small amount about a large number of subjects rather than being a kind of a deep dive expert. I'm not going to be the person you get in for a particular job. I, I lo- look to be the person who can see the connections between everyone else's job. And my question about the Steve Jobs-ness or the, the coach or the director of theatre film is, is it a good thing, a valuable thing an important thing for that person to have or seem to have a disproportionate amount of power in a team. Is a team leader where all the gravity is and everyone else kind of weighs weighs the same as the team leader? So they, their, their function is more important than anyone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, so you will know more so obviously from a kind of theatre, maybe improv and kind of film setting about what that hierarchy looks like and how that hierarchy works best. Um, So I was watching... a film the other day uh, on Netflix because, you know, we're in isolation guys. There is not much else to do. Um, Well, there's lots to do, but Netflix is part of that day (laughs) for me. (laughs) And uh, I was watching uh, Ex Machina, which uh, is directed by... Alex Garland. Alex Garland. Thank you. And so then I kind of, because it is a bit of a kind of thought provoking film. Um,
1: it's great. It's a good recommendation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not my go-to kind of genre, um, but I gave it a go and I, I was pleased I did because it, as I said, it does make you think after the film, which I think any good film should make you think about it afterwards. And so then I watched a bit of an interview, uh, on YouTube, uh, with, with Alex and it was really interesting because he spoke about his role being one of a filmmaker and that basically everyone on set is a filmmaker and he's never pandered to the idea of a hierarchy within a, within a movie. Mm. Um, And so the actors, the, the post-production guys, the lighting guys, you know, the cinematography of the film, all of that, the actors, you know, he kind of sees as all just filmmakers. Um, and that, that was, that was quite interesting to me because I don't know how many directors out there maybe think the same as him.
1: It is an interesting one because I think that there are a lot of people who probably see it as kind of philosophically the way they want to approach it. And I don't think I've ever been in an environment that has really been where it's been as necessary for the team to function properly, both separately and together as a a film set. People are absolutely required to do their jobs, and have their jobs done on time, and to the level that everyone else is working. And Really, movies don't come together without kind of separate and together. What is interesting about it, though, is that almost every decision has to pass through one or two people the producer or the the director uh, creatively it's running through a director who whose job it is to say yes or no to everyone else's creativity and the producer whose job it is to say yes or no to everyone else's kind of budgeting and 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 business skill and that can create an imbalance it takes a lot i think for a person to be asked to make the final call on so many things and to not feel like they're the powerful person. And so I think it takes a lot for a person in that position to be open to someone else's better idea or to the result of someone else's good work, their contribution.
0: Do you think it makes a difference if you kind of wrote like the screenplay opposed to just being the director? So because I, I don't know if I'm, I may, I may be wrong here, but did Alex Garland also, did he write? I think he did. He was uh, he, like yeah, the beach, he is. He's a novelist. Beach, uh, tw- yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's probably an additional kind of power struggle because if it literally is your words and your idea and your vision for the movie, I think maybe that adds on to something opposed to being a big big director that comes in and knows how to put this film together, if that makes sense.
1: But the idea that that person then, and I think filmmaking is quite complicated in this respect, could the head of the art department fire the director? Probably not. (laughs) Could the director fire the head of the art department if they didn't like their idea? No, exactly. Probably not technically, but I can see it happening. You know, you're not, you're not meeting the requirements and that is a, that's a challenging dynamic for a positive teamwork. We're a team until you're wrong. No,
0: very true. Very true. But, uh, and, uh, but I think what, what he was saying in the interview as well was kind of like you said before, something has to be passed by maybe two or three people before it's kind of like a yes. Mm. And I think he was saying that a lot about the kind of, the kind of director of photography or, uh, you know, for the film where he would have to run those things by someone anyway, to see if it looked the best that it could
1: look. And I think, I think a good direct, a good director is uh, probably one that recognizes the expertise of other people and who frames their requests in a way that allows for the that person to exercise their brilliance. So I talk from a theatre point of view about, can I ask you to do something without telling you how you're supposed to do it? Can I ask you to create and bring back your creation and and be excited for what you come back even if it's not what I imagined it would be and that's quite a challenging thing to do sometimes if you are on the business deadlines budgets etc that, that a film has I think it settles it Sean I think we need to get Alex Garland on if anybody knows Alex Garland please we would like him to come on and talk about the teamwork inherent in making a movie
0: yeah just just you know just Alex Garland just a, a big director novelist
1: on that I think we should jump to part two of our conversation with Charlie Purnell, um, where we get a little bit more into Dungeons and & Dragons and how his role as a dungeon master is similar and different to how he runs a duke of edinburgh expedition. Sean, if you are ready, let's jump straight over to that. Let's go. Teamwork.
2: Teamwork. Yes. yes. So I think there is value in in conflict, managed conflict, and 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 I think one of the things that I've learned myself is to not just equip them with the ability to navigate and put up tents and cook, but also equip them with the ability to resolve. In what
1: ways arguments. are you doing that? We talked a lot in the last the last time we spoke to someone we spoke to uh, an improviser who coaches teams to do very very specific small stuff and he described these kind of repetitions of activities what what tools are you using to teach that conflict resolution
2: it's it's so funny because i i I try i try to teach it right from the top so so first um it it doesn't never pans out and again it's it's puts you in a sort of i told you so, so situation which which you want to avoid but um First first time I ever get the groups together and we're doing some training, um, I give them these scenarios and uh, they're all scenarios that they have to, as a team, decide how they would deal with if they're on Duke Federal Expeditions. They're all sort of things that happen quite a lot. So, you know, someone gets a cut, you know, and somebody sprains their ankle, maybe needs to get, get help somewhere. Um, you know, it's raining and someone's tent is leaking. These are the scenarios. And the one that I always give them, they, th- they always think is the easiest one, is that uh, you get to a point and there's a path to the right, a path to the left. And on the map, there's only one path. And even number of people in the team, half want to go right, half want to go left. What do you do? And they, they, they sort of laugh at that as uh, compared to the sprained angle and the wet tent and the running out of food. This is an easy one. You know, we toss a coin and we do this and that other. It is, it is the, the single biggest source of arguments on duke of edinburgh is when somebody puts themselves forward and goes right we can't stand here all day we're gonna go right and then when right (laughs) is the incorrect answer and 30 minutes down the down the down the road they realize they've got to backtrack 30 minutes and go left the tendency for the other members of the team to turn on the person (laughs) who made the decision is 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 happens every time and the and and so what that teaches them don't make decisions <laughs> is,
1: uh, don't be a leader don't
2: make decisions and, and, and a group, and a group that fully fell apart once this group I was telling you about that was out for about 11 hours on a ridiculously hot day it got to the point where nobody would make any navigational decisions whatsoever because every time someone did If they were wrong, the rest turned on them. So actually, um, the the sort of training, the coaching, I think, is around um, saying, if you do not play a part in that decision, then you probably shouldn't have a, a voice of blame when the decision turns out to be wrong. However, if there is an involvement of a group of people in the decision... Then there's a collective blame, and then like, then blame goes out the window. There is no blame. It's like, right. oh look, we've we've all made a silly mistake, and and that's different. So 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 it's almost like the, the, the there isn't a reward for putting yourself forward and being the person who makes the decision, unless the decision that you make is right. And if the decision you make is wrong, then then you risked getting turned on so I'm not surprised They sometimes step back from that I'm so far away from the question you asked now I can't remember what the question was but it's an interesting avenue
1: no it's good it takes us it takes us on to uh, in your unique perspective when you take away the stakes of uh, Mm. the expedition you've got a Dungeons and Dragons uh are they were the campaigns
2: yeah that's what they're called yeah Yeah,
1: a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and you literally have those same circumstances do we go left or do we go right um does it happen there is it the same situation
2: absolutely uh Dungeons and Dragons is an interesting one because conflict is is built into the operation of the game the game does not does not function without conflict it's it's, it's sort of uh, like a lot of sort of strategy games um the sort of board game element needs a sort of level of conflict um and it's very difficult because that that conflict is usually the group of people against whatever characters the dungeon master is kind of throwing at them at that that moment in time with well so, so so a group of adventurers uh so, so you've got to understand that that most of dungeon dragons happens in in sort of a, in, the, in the realm of storytelling so the dungeon master's job is to create a situation a scene or a scenario with words um sometimes with some visuals but usually with words um and then the characters with a set of sort of board game like rules um have to decide amongst themselves Uh, what they're going to do now what you've got here is you've got an interplay between people playing characters so the decisions that they make and this probably goes into some of the stuff you might have been talking about in the roleplay episode um, is that the people are trying to make decisions based on what their character would do rather than what they would do which should take some of that sort of conflict away but doesn't because people do take things personally so you're essentially saying oh this is not what you're doing, this is what your character is doing.
1: Yeah, we discussed this dual dialogue between the, uh, the, the two characters, but mm. also being witness to this dialogue between the two performers. And I guess in this case, it would be the two kind of avatars and the two players mm. yeah. that there is a dual dialogue happening where no matter how much I'm doing this in character, I'm still able to recognize the hand of the player or the, the, the human underneath.
2: Yeah. So so you want an example let let's do it let's do an example of a a sort of session that you've you've played Mark um in the race of campaign where six adventurers walk into a a cave full of lovely treasure and they get attacked by um a uh, enchanted rug and a, a and a flying demon um and they all have to sort of pull together and try and try and defeat this so there's a conflict built into it you know it is it is a sort of battle game um there are like Duke of Edinburgh, and I, I, I don't kind of mean to sort of crowbar links in, but I do feel this is a genuine nice thing that's inbuilt within the game, is that the the the, the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's such that each each character, in the same way that you might do in a sort of multiplayer computer game, um, each character has different strengths and weaknesses. There's no one brilliantly balanced player. Some are very good at, some are very strong, some are very charismatic, um, some are sort of very quick. And it's about kind of trying to decide the best strategy uh, to to get over this sort of encounter um using the strengths and the weaknesses of each player you know one player in, in the in the campaign that mark is playing is a healer so actually often doesn't get that involved but sort of stays at the back and kind of heals other people um, very much like a, like a computer game um, but because conflict is built into the game and because there are quite long periods of just sort of role play where there aren't any rules and where the the dungeon master creates a scene and then tries to step back as much as they can often and particularly with young people i must say in the games that i've played as a player with adults this hasn't happened so much with young people Mm. uh the conflict often gets between the players um and that's a really difficult one because uh in duke of edinburgh when there's conflict you can say uh you know if you are going to argue for two or three hours then you're not going to get to the campsite on time whereas when you're in a game and there's a a character who who has an axe (laughs) having an argument with another character who has a sword like what's to stop them from you know hurting each other and and breaking the entire team down and when you've got no team you've got no game essentially so the fabric of the game is at stake and that's really difficult because you're supposed to be, as a as a dungeon master, sort of uh, the creator of the world, but you're, you're supposed to leave people to it. And you've still got to do that. You've still got to do that coaching. You've still got to do that trying to manage conflict without breaking character and without breaking away from the game and to make it feel still more like a a story that you're telling without just going no the rules are you can't hit each other
0: (laughs) Mm. Charlie do, do, do you think then that you need to you need to ideally know the people you're playing with to an extent or does the game get better once you've once you've played with those with those people you know over a number of weeks because you may be able to kind of understand something within their character that would mean they would make a certain choice or decision within that so, conflict so, so it's or...
2: interesting because you have got to try and figure out what the, whether it's the player or the character that's making the decision and sometimes role play a good role play means uh, it was the character doing something that maybe the person wouldn't and certainly in the games where I've played as players I've made decisions right. that I would never make well even just the act of getting into a fight in the first place I, I wouldn't do it <laughs> whereas my characters do it all the time right. um, but, uh, but 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 you, you get you learn the characters a little bit I think the the um there are definitely examples and there are thousands of Dungeons and Dragons games going on at a time. Lots of them are online these days and a lot of them are between strangers. So sometimes people will play with others and they only know the characters. They don't actually know the people behind them. And actually a lot a lot right, of people okay. find that quite, find that the draw. And there has been articles I've read recently where certainly people uh, on the autistic spectrum have um, really enjoyed playing Dungeons and Dragons, because there is a, a there is a, a, a sort of separation from themselves, so they can engage in a social activity without having to worry about about what other people think of them. And I've read an article recently written by someone who's on the autistic spectrum who says that they have never engaged in any social clubs until Dungeon, Dungeon & came along, when they were able to engage in a social club and, and play a version of themselves, where if someone had a go at them, they, they didn't need to take it personally because it wasn't them they were having a go at, it was this sort of extra version of themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that was going to be like an add-on to then like my next point, which is that, that works mm. quite well, Charlie, because then while I was looking at Chris Chris, um, last uh, last episode, spoke about you know people join improv who didn't join the football yeah. team or the network team or join you know, the, the football team. Or could, we're picked sorry.
1: last yeah. in the play. Yeah, so
0: we're so we're picked last. So if we take uh, if we take the sort of characters that may may be uh, may be drawn to, to Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. is it kind of the same thing? And if so. Is there, a, is there a big kind of plus for them in terms of developing their own personal kind of traits and and building character, so to speak, that can then go into the real world where they may be more confident or be able to conflict manage better because of D&D or because of that separation, it doesn't so really I, work? So
2: I... Um, I, uh, I, I... I had to go through the process because this is the first time that I've ever kind of played and certainly run a game with young people. Um, I had to go through the process of figuring out the sort of educational value of playing a a game that, you know, can at times be quite violent, can at times be quite sort of like, like any kind of fantasy world. There's a lot world. of mead. Yeah like, yeah, like any kind of fantasy world is, is is kind of rough around the edges and all that sort of stuff. Um, how to try and make that kind of educationally viable without kind of making it less of a game, without kind of making it a... Uh, a sort of um a thing that they're playing some sort of light version um yeah and 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 i think that exactly what you said that kind of taking things into the real world is 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 sort of what i what i got to because 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 my job i suppose is to um uh make sure that there are consequences to bad actions that if if some if they do something that is sort of immoral within the game that that somehow that fundamentally changes the the way in which the game is happening the way in which the team works the way in which their individual character work and i think that's an important part of it now that's less so in the sort of games in fact there is the option um which i didn't give the students but there is the option within it to play as as what they call a chaotic evil characters where you are you know you're a character of villains um in 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 the in this in the game that i'm playing with the students they are technically heroes although (laughs) although an an odd bunch of heroes um but they are technically heroes they're technically working for the greater good um and as a result you know if they were to and none of them have but they could do because because it's in the realms of possibility if any of them were just to go in out outright cold-blooded kill a civilian um then it, it, i would need there to be quite significant consequences to that you know i probably I, that that player would probably be out of the game in terms of the character yeah in terms of
0: but from but but, but let's so less so less so from a kind of consequences outcome but more so from interacting with people that have similar interests to them in the same way that if they went to a jujitsu club they would have similar interests Do you find that they, and I know you're saying it's the first time you work with young people for D&D, but have you seen kind of a more confidence around other people generally, uh, conversationally, etc. from playing the game?
2: Uh, Without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. So, so it, it you know, for some, I'll go as far as saying, for some students, not just within the campaign that I'm running, but that I've kind of read about, um, who play D and D, they sort of see it as a bit of a social lifeline. Um, it's the thing that you can for a student who is a socially. Um, had social difficulties in terms of being able to uh, engage with the students, start that conversation up in the in the in, in the corridor. Suddenly you you're, you're part of a, a team. Suddenly you're part of a group of people who have got a common interest and also an interest where there's lots, lots of things that other people won't understand. So lots of things you could talk about that a passerby wouldn't understand. Yeah. You've suddenly got that, 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 that point of engagement, that point of like seeing someone in the corridor and being able to say, oh, it was a great campaign last night. You know, oh, I can't believe we yeah. managed to convince a dragon to give us a crown or something like that um we yeah
1: charlie that means nothing to me (laughs) and yet means everything to me so i feel like i'm part of the group But,
0: but, but 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 what i mean is is that common is that common goal and having those common interests that i think makes from from also kind of like a mental well-being point of view is why teams are so important i know this podcast is looking at is looking specifically at teams and trying to obviously create like great teams, but, but also what goes around that. And the fact of if, if your team does lose every week um, for, from a sporting context, you're still around those people. You, yeah. you, you still want to turn up to training. You still have two or three mates within that group that you can see socially outside of the team in the same way that D&D kind of brings people together in, in that sense. So I think especially now with us being in, in isolation, uh you know and and kind of on this lockdown i think it's it's people are realizing how important being part of a team is to them because now that they're missing it it's uh you know it's really it's really affecting them in some cases
2: further and sort of say you know why apart from apart from teams that have created out of necessity so teams of people that you work with who uh you know, all are, all are working together and then therefore kind of almost have to work together. You, you have to work uh, any, them. <laughs> any other team what any, a other nightmare. Team, <laughs> any other team that you sort of choose to be a part with, whether that be a sports team or a drama team or Dungeons and Dragons or Duke of Edinburgh or whatever, fundamentally why why do we join teams? Why why do we choose to be surrounded by people? And I think for me, and it, it, I think I think uh this might answer your question about the the, the Dungeons and Dragons kids uh, or adults in, in in the sort of games that I play. Is it is that bringing together people with a common interest to do something that makes you feel part of a community, and whether that community is I mean, do then this might be a total question. Does somebody join a football team because they want to? Uh, win games of football or do they join a football team because they want to be part of a team of people who will do the same sorts of things uh, and maybe a bit of both. Yeah. But I think why do people join a Dungeons and Dragons campaign when they could choose not to, you know, there's not, no compulsion to do it and it's because they want to sit in a room for a few hours each week with a group of people who are engaged in an activity that, that, that is common to all those people. And I, I,
0: I, I think yeah, I think Mark talks about tribes quite quite a bit, Finding Yeah, your so tribe.
1: I, I frame it in a similar term, but as much about making a statement, not about what I do, but about who I am, so that my actions uh, identify me as a certain person. So I'm showing up not to win football games, not just to be part of a uh, team, but to say to the world, I am a footballer uh, to be around people who are also saying to the world, uh, I am a footballer and seeing what we have in common. So I'm, I'm letting the world know who I am. I'm going into a room and I'm saying to the world a couple of things. I am a person who likes playing games, but I'm also saying to them, I am a gnome or I am a, you know, an elf. And to have someone validate that Statement of existence, statement of identity is a hugely powerful thing. To have me stand in front of a group of people and say, I believe these things, these are my values, this is who I am. And for that bunch of people to nod and go, yep, is hugely powerful. For them to then add on, and us too, Means you have your tribe. You have a bunch of people that you can put yourself out to, and feel supported, or feel like you're not taking a huge risk in taking the actions that you take.
0: Is that kind of like your yes and from 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 last week, Mark?
1: Always. It's it's why it's 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 why uh, people who have experienced improv in this way have found it quite a profound life. Changer, and I'm assuming for for many people, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, just that involvement and that acceptance of who I am and what I choose to do can be quite a profoundly uh, grounding experience.
2: And, and, and I think you know that it would be very easy sort of to dismiss, but actually, when we talk about teams, and you're talking about groups of people who who are. Um, in a space together, doing a thing, you can't overlook. And, and maybe this is something you might want to explore in the future. Would you class a team as being a group of people with a common interest or common obsession? For example, this is just on on, on on my head at the moment because I'm going back through all the uh, all the films whilst we're on lockdown. It um, is 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 is. Yeah, the community of people who are obsessed with Star Wars, or the community of people who are obsessed with Harry Potter, um, or community of people who all love uh, a particular singer-songwriter, who 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 come together often online to 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 discuss and and and, and, over-analyze and pour about it. Is that is that that's a community? Is that to, a team? to nerd yeah. out to nerd out. You know to, to you keep know, the, the the nerd the <laughs> nerdiness of, the, the, the nerdy, the nerdy what, of Dungeons and Dragons like? involves people being in a room together and doing a, a a sort of a game, um, so the parallels between something like that and a sport are more easy to see. But for a, a, a huge Star Wars fanatic who who spends a lot of time uh, discussing with other Star Wars fanatics, kind of the ins and outs of this, that, and the other, um, let's let's ignore for a moment the sort of the poisonous kind of fandom that has come about in more recent years, where people are almost sort of being overly negative. When you t- t- talk about people who have a genuine passion for something, a genuine common positive passion for something who, and that thing brings them together uh, we would more normally call that a community I suppose but is that kind of coming into teams and is that the overlap with something like Dungeons and Dragons where it's actually it's just about being part of a tribe and doing something that you're all doing together and, and sorry to go on about this a little bit but I, I was listening to a, a sort of a film review podcast earlier today and they were talking about how One of the things that's been interesting with this lockdown is that people have stopped going to the cinema, but people are still watching films at the same time together so lots of people are pressing play on a film on netflix at the same time and and starting a video chat and watching the film together and talking about the film or discussing the film afterwards in their own homes Uh, you know that community that's charlie
1: that's
0: much that's much better than talking about the film in the cinema at the time
1: because that that's very annoying i think you're on you're on to something in terms of pointing us towards a question there charlie my gut and i think we're going to get into this over and over again my gut is it starts to be about challenging communities towards outcomes and the the group of people who are a community working towards a common outcome starts to make them a team so the team is defined by the goal as much as it is by the identity of the people within it, mm.
2: um, and that, maybe that's when a commu- where a community is different to a team, right? And and, and also the, the the interesting question you started this with, which I probably you turned on a little bit, is is you know I, I didn't I I consider a Duke of Edinburgh expedition and a Dungeons and Dragons campaign in which I'm the dungeon master rather than a player as two teams which I manage but I'm not part of, but maybe the difference is that within a team. Team, you've got roles and you've got kind of managers and you've got responsibilities, and those responsibilities are quite clear, even in Dungeons and Dragons, because people have got different character clusters um, and negatives. Um, maybe in a community, everyone is sort of coming in equal in a way. Um, there's an equal level of Star Wars fandom rather than a sort of structure, which maybe is the difference between a two team and a community thinking it yeah. through.
1: I could yeah I could potentially share the same role as someone else uh but because we're not having to compete against each other for that role we're a community Ooh. if uh, if I was fighting to be the best uh version of that role along with all of the people that were doing something else we would be a team and we would be against you uh in the way that, in the way that uh, Sean finds himself more engaged in competitive teamery.
0: Yeah. Charlie, I think it's a really good point though. Maybe Mark, we can look to maybe try and get uh, a huge kind of fan of a particular kind of genre or franchise, um, maybe on and, and, and ask that question and see the differences uh, between community and, uh, and teams. That would be quite fun.
1: So there you have it. That is the second part of uh, our conversation with Charlie Purnell. And I think, Sean, we have set a record for the number of swords and goblins in a podcast. (laughs)
0: 100%. Or one of our
1: podcasts anyway. (laughs) No, exactly. Who knew there were so many? Um, And I think if I could listen to them both back to back... uh, I think it is so interesting how things that work in one context just aren't there in the other ones. Uh, th- what he was saying about how the conflict being a a deliberate part of the D and D campaign is so interesting in terms of, of the effect that that can have on on group dynamic. You know,
0: definitely, definitely. And I think I think the most interesting thing that I've taken away from um, from charlie's uh part one and part two podcasts um because he is a man that needs a trilogy um is the whole thing of him trying to take a step back from both groups really so even though he is the uh dungeon master um that's the correct terminology, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes even well though done. he is the, even though he's a dungeon master and he is creating this world, he still needs to step back and let the group kind of take over in terms of dynamics and where the story leads. Um, and much like the D of E chat that we had, where he needs to let students make their own mistakes and learn from them. And I think um, anyone in a team or, or who manages a team realizes that at some point, they do have to take that step back and let mistakes happen and then kind of deal with those mistakes as they take place. Um, that's so
1: that's so true. And I think fits really nicely with and we're we're lucky enough to be able to kind of preview it um the next guest we've got on is uh, a young man called harry chesler and he's gonna be talking to us about uh principles by ray dalio and one of the things that we talk about in that is this idea that mistakes are part of the culture it's about how you deal with those mistakes how you equip people within a group to operate with one another uh, so that they can be open and transparent about when something hasn't gone right without fear without you know it's 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 a really interesting chat
0: really looking forward to it um don't give too much away mark they won't they won't um they won't come f- uh for episode number
1: five six they won't god I don't even know these days. <laughs>
0: I think we're on six. I think it will be six, um, and and we've got some other great guests uh, already in the pipeline, sort of ready to go. And I'm really looking forward to it. So it's been amazing that people have been super supportive in terms of wanting to come on and have a chat with us. Uh, and I just hope that that continues because for those of you who have been listening, um, I'm sure you're seeing how diverse the the kind of guests are and that's really and what we wanted to do. The more
1: requests you give us, the, the the better the podcast is going to be. We've had some great feedback from people. Thank you so much for the people that have left comments on uh the Anchor voice notes. We've had those we've heard those they're lovely. Um and my WhatsApp can- yeah, via WhatsApp. Thank you so much. You can also uh, drop us a line on our almost fully stocked Twitter and Instagram feeds at Podcast. You can email Sean and I at Sean or Mark at uh, uh That's just got set up. So we're we're starting to rock and roll and we really want to keep this thing going. So who do you want to hear from? Uh the, the better those recommendations, the more that Sean and I learn, and the less we annoy our friends by bugging them to come on our podcast during a lockdown. Uh- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so thanks again to Charlie for being on. Keep an ear out for our next episode next Friday uh, from Harry Cheslaw. Uh, and all that's left is for us to say goodbye, Sean. Bye guys. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must
0: be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes!